Carl Wilkins, welcome to the Rugby Abroad podcast for episode 14. Mate, how are you? Good mate, good mate. Thanks for having me on. No worries, no worries at all. The pleasure's all mine. Um, mate, I, I just thought we'd just start with a quick introduction from yourself, if you don't mind, just to, just to um, clear up the basics of how you started playing rugby and how you ended up moving abroad, boss. Okay, so um, right from the beginning, I was a footballer, as you know, <laughs> and I, uh, half decent as well, and um, my uncle was a big rugby man, my cousin played as well, so I basically just went down to watch watch him play, I think it might have been under 12s, playing in Thurrock, and um, had some spare boots flying around, bizarrely, um, nice. chucked them on, uncle put me on, and I was a lot bigger than the other lads, so... Uh, Obviously, it went all right. And then from there, I started playing down at Colchester, which is not my straight local in. club. Were, you, sorry, right. mate. You were straight into contact rugby? No no previous experience of, of rugby mm, and you were just straight in? Nah. Straight were, in, yeah. That's at like the deep in. end, isn't it? You Thank your yeah. uncle there. Yeah. Well, he's a um, big rugby man. He obviously saw some potential. Just stuck me in the mixer from the yeah. get Good lad. Yeah. And then I had um, I had a couple of mates playing at Colchester, which isn't my local club, I'm an Ipswich boy, but um, did the 25, 30-minute drive down there. Yeah. And started playing there from under 13 season. Playing that on Sundays and football on Saturdays. I must have done that until about, well, I think it was two years. I got, um, got picked up by St. CPDG pretty... Early, so then I started doing that on Monday nights. The EPDG is the is the academy equivalent. Yeah, it's it? the Elite Player Development Group. Yeah, so yeah, that's the academy group. So I had that on Monday nights. I had um, busy weeks, mate. I had EPDGs on Mondays, and then I think it was football on Tuesday nights. Rugby with Colchester on Wednesdays. Football again on Thursday. In games on Saturdays and Sundays, so it was a uh, it was a good time. Good time, lots yeah. of sport, lots who, of games. Who was who was taxing you about back in the day then? To all those different. Uh, it was um, it was my old man, Big Dave. He uh, yeah, he really liked the rugby. Yeah, he he wasn't a rugby man himself. Like he didn't didn't. I think he had two games, two games, two injuries um, when he was younger. So yeah, he was more of a football football man as well. Yeah, mate. Similar story myself, and at the end of the day, my 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 old man made me make a decision at fifteen of of sort of which sport I wanted to go with because he was just fed up of doing all the driving um, to yeah. both. <laughs> Is that what happened with you? Um, yeah, it was actually. I was I was not really sure what I wanted to do. It was quite young when I had to sort of make a decision because obviously playing Saturdays and Sundays when you get older and things start getting a bit more serious, you can't do both. So you have to make a decision. But when you're a 15 year old boy, you don't you don't want to be making decisions. You just want to be playing. You've got mates and both sports. Sure. Um, so yeah, it was difficult. I remember actually stopping. I think I was 14 or 15, and um, my dad actually wrote me a letter just saying um, so it must have been easier for him. Didn't want any arguments in the car at <laughs> home. Nice. Just saying. Just saying. Um, I was probably better at rugby as well, but I think I was leaning more towards football at the time. Yeah. Just because I'd done that all my all my life. And he was just saying, like, whatever you want to do, 100% support you. Just, we need to make a decision. 
um, just because you need to let the coaches know what you want to do, yeah. where, where we're going to be taking you, all this sort of stuff. So then I had to have a think about it and uh, I went with rugby. So um, Tough call to make, as a yeah, young lad. Tough call. Yeah, because I was playing all right standard of um, football as well when I was a young lad. I was yeah. playing some county stuff, a lot of school games. Um, yeah, then it sort of gets to that age at sort of 16 where um, all of the good players seem to be at private schools playing for their schools, big tournaments like Daily Mail. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I got approached to go to um, a private school play on Saturdays which obviously mean an end to the to the football on Saturdays Um, so yeah that was I've skipped quite a bit there but uh, originally I had an offer to go to Newhall in Chelmsford but that was I was about 14 so I finished my um, what to kind of get you into a school to play like to focus on your rugby it was like a yeah it was like a rugby school yeah Um, I sort of stuck at my old school doing football and rugby until the end of my GCSEs Nice. And then I made the decision to go to St. Joseph's College in Ipswich with the view to cracking on a bit more of my rugby. That sort of age where I made the decision to go with it. Nice. And then and then you obviously pursued, or you carried on with the EPBG um, for a while. How long did that go on? And then, obviously, yeah. sorry, just, just, to, just make, to make an assumption, is it... EPDG, you're in there with kind of a view of when you're when you're leaving school or 18 or, or whatever. That's like kind of make or break, and you're you're either getting your f- first team contract or your first like proper professional contract or not. Is that uh, right? the EPDG? I think goes to under 16s and then okay. it's juniors, juniors. I think like Jun- pre contract contracts at the end of your sixth form year. Okay. So um, yeah, but you want to be in it under 16s. You want to be playing from 16s to 18s to give yourself a real shot of getting a full-time contract. Yeah. And so what so, happened yeah. with yours? Um, I was... I had a good time at Saints, like, in the age groups. I played up a couple of times with the year above. Yeah. Sort of... I was always playing. Um, we had a really good year group as well. Um, and then in my last year, I got injured in... I had a tough last year because I got injured in pre-season. We went on a school tour to South Africa. Yeah. And I got a, a leg break, my uh, fibula, spiral fracture. So I was out for a few months, obviously, which is not what you want in your under-18 year. Like anyone playing in England knows. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just didn't have a great year, which is partly luck, partly just me. First big injury, probably didn't handle it. Uh, how I've just handled my last injury, for example. Because at the time I was playing second row and I thought, oh, well, this is a good opportunity for me to get big. Yeah. So I've hit the gym a lot. And then when I come back, like struggled a bit more with my just running, other little bits and bobs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a big learning process. And uh, as I say, we had a good year at Saints that year. So they gave up a fair few contracts to, to boys in that age group. And... Uh, I missed out, which is probably fair enough as well. Tough though, uh, tough after being, yeah. being with them for so long, I imagine. Yeah, it was tough, but it's life. It's a big learning curve, just like with the with the injury as well. So, yeah, um, yeah I think they, they let you know about, I think it was February or March time. It's got so many years ago now. I think well, it's I mean, about so February time. 
So early on, kind of before end of season, like you've still yeah, got the, time. Have you still got time to then look for other stuff if you want to pursue rugby? I guess. Yeah, I think that was the idea. Is like you get it done early-ish, so boys know where they where they're going, concentrate on their exams, end of the school year. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so I think it was about March time, and then from there, just sort of had a month in limbo, like not really knowing what I wanted to do. Uh, I went down to Cambridge near me as well. Had a training session with them inside. That was national one trial. Uh, it was nat- I think it might have been national two at the time. Yeah. Not sure, but yeah, like men's rugby. So because obviously in England it's under eighteen straight to men's rugby. Yeah. Which I'll probably well, cover that now. This is a big part of why I came to France. Is um, the Espoir system, which is basically at the time it was under twenty three. Yeah. So they've got the main side and then they've got a number 23 squad uh, who play every week in a league format. Yeah. So obviously not playing much in my last year under 18s, I wanted um, an opportunity to play, play regularly. And it was actually my old EPDG coach, Simon Sinclair, put me in touch with my current agent, um, Jamie Noon, who... Fin- finished his career in Breve and he was just finishing up his uh, agency exams nice. and he, I spoke to him and he said yeah look, there'll be there'll be some opportunities for you um, so I thought about that for a week or so and then he got back to me saying yeah there's some interests can you get out in like the I think it was the Easter half term have a look around like a little trial and obviously I was like yes yeah. Um, yeah. So I went to, flew out with my parents to Breve, and I had a, Breve is a top 14 club here in France. Yeah. I had a, I think it was a two day trial with them. And then whilst we were in France, um, Claremont got a hold of Jamie as well. Just like, oh, when's he going back? Like, can you come down and have a look at, have a look around here as well and we were like yeah well, we've got our flights booked and all this and they're like what no worries like we'll we'll change the flights so obviously stuck around for that breathing Claremont's not too far away so we went down there yeah um the next day had a look around obviously it's a it's a very big club so sort of big European club all of the facilities the, the whole town was a lot bigger and like bigger, brighter sort of than breathe the day before. Like during my test as well, I was pissing it down with rain. And then when I get to Claremont the next day, it's like 30 degrees, bright sunshine. Everything, everything just seemed, seemed a lot nicer. So yeah. they showed me around there, they showed me around their centre de formation where the young lads do their training, their food, all of this. Training um, centre for anyone that didn't get the, yeah, the sorry, French. Training centre. <laughs> training centre, big training centre, which they shared with football and I think basketball teams, the yeah. other teams. Nice. Yeah. Do you remember your, Do you remember what your like headspace was like at the time? Because it sounds pretty mental as an 18-year-old. Yeah, there was a lot going on. And uh, all the handshaking threw me off as well, like this, especially <laughs> when we got to Claremont, because just everyone's coming to shake your hand, just that's how it is. Like, in France, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I remember trying to, we went out for dinner later on that day and then I went to shake the coach's hand again in the evening. He was like, oh, it's just all right. Like, just once a day is all right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a, there was a lot going on um, in the short, short um, sort of period of time. Uh, and then we all went out for dinner in Claremont um, with a couple of the coaches and some of my parents and Jamie. Yeah. Um, sort of made me an offer there and uh, I signed it the next day. Three-year three year deal with uh, Claremont. Awesome. How's, how's that, like, dealing with the family at the same time and moving away? Because probably, out of everyone I've spoken to, 18 is the the youngest anyone's like packed the bags and and gone to another country to sort of pers- pursue this professional career was what was the chat with your parents like after obviously your dad followed you around that for yeah. from training to training all of your early years like he's obviously yeah. then gonna send you off off to France so how was that do you remember that yeah well my dad was really happy for me. Like he's he's done some miles driving me around the country, like to games, camps, and obviously it was a tough last year for me under 18s. And he yeah. was just like thrilled that I'd got this this offer with a big big club. I'd be playing, so I could see he was thrilled. Mum was a little bit more cautious, sort of Are you sure like. The, the Frenchies with the Frenchies bit, bit too well. much, yeah, with the. <laughs> the French and everything but yeah mum was a bit more cautious dad looked very chuffed yeah um, but yeah looking back I probably didn't think about it too much sort of all the whole family aspect and yeah how, how little I would have been able to get back home and all these sort of things I think it was like 18 year old lad had a month or so uh, wondering what he's going to do and yeah. then he had like one of the biggest clubs in Europe giving him a three-year sort of deal. It was, it was like, Unreal. yeah, of course, sign it straight away. And did, did you, maybe you were too young to realise at the time, like the significance of that three years, doing three years in the Espoirs in France, how important yeah. that is then to be able to move on to professional rugby in France? Yeah, definitely. But definitely didn't think about it all. But... Um, Jamie, my agent, had explained to me this rule where if you're three years in the Senegal Flasher on the the uh, Espoirs Academy setup, then you're then qualified as a homegrown player. Which yeah. obviously, with with the rules changing sort of every year, like you needing more and more homegrown players in your match day squad, um, that's that's important. Being in France now, it's yes, well, it's easier, I think, to find clubs so so you found yourself in Claremont you did a few years there how do you how did you find the because essentially you're going into like the academy setup of of Claremont how did that compare to Northampton's academy setup like were there similarities or was it very different like the English versus the French the way they did things um, yeah uh, it's hard to compare because obviously I didn't experience it from 18 up yeah uh, in England and sort of before then, it's once or twice a week. It's not like full on. Yeah. But um, it was a whole sort of, like I say, it was a whole training centre for young sides. Um, we had like under, I think it was from under 14s up until the Espoirs, under 23s. There was like athletics track, gym, rugby pitches. Yeah. More rugby pitches just down the road. So 
the setup was fast. Like it was, you had everything you needed there. Um, in Claremont as well, they've got the tram line. So I live right next to the main stadium. And I think it was like three or four stops on the tram, which is right outside the stadium, down oh, yeah. to the training centre. So it was, yeah, it was class. You had everything you needed sort of right on your doorstep. Great, great. And um, Claremont, how long did you spend there in the end before you, you made the move? And yeah, tell us there, about that move. Where did yeah, you end up? I was there for, for two years in Claremont. Um, yeah. It was great. Like, it was what I, what I needed. I planned a lot. Um, with the Espoirs I trained quite a bit with the first team in my first year not so much in my second year yeah. which is then when I sort of started to say like, oh Jack and I'll be training much next year in my third year I want to be pushing on a little bit sort of I was 20 so I wanted to start training more regularly with them and um, they basically said yeah like we like you we want to keep you around but not sure how many opportunities you'll get yeah, because you're, um, you're a back rower um, and that was your preferred position at the time or were you still playing second row? I, I was still playing second row but they had told me they saw me more as a back row Okay. Um, but there must have been a big shortage of second rows at the time like there was I just always seemed to be playing second row anyway which yeah. uh, I wasn't fussed about but it, they were telling me long term we see you here so I was sort of I wanted to play there and sort of Basically, do do yeah, what they stops. want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do what they, do what they want. Yeah. So, so you can continue to impress, and then exactly. Um, so then, two years at Claremont, and then you ended up moving down to Bezier, where you still are today. Correct yeah, me if I'm wrong. Season in Bezier now. Yeah, it's five correct. seasons. Yeah, fifth one now. So it's been a been a long ride in Bezier. So, anyway, so you, yeah, how I got here, it was the same story, sort of, Jamie set it up, came down, had a look, um, had a chat with the coach at the time, and it sounded like just what I needed, so like a couple, I'd be training regularly with the first team, so there'd be some chances to play, which is what I wanted to do, so I signed a two-year deal with Bezier, and I moved... I think it was June time. We started beginning of July pre-season. But I um, I sort of signed, flew home from Claremont and I was like, all right, sweet, I'll sort this out when I get back. Um, and I had a mate at the time playing in the Oina called Dan Lewis, playing in Coventry now. Yeah. And he had a French car and he was like, oh, I'm moving back home, like, have this car. So I picked up his car, so it was an old Ford Focus, Drove that from my home in Ipswich all the way to Claremont, packed up the apartment, drove from Claremont down to Bezier. Uh, and my first couple of months, I was in like these uh, be like studio flats for the young lads right next to the stadium. Yeah. Because I'd been living in a flat for two years, I had like way too much stuff for this little studio. So I just was crammed in there yeah. at first. <laughs> um, yeah, and then first season in Bezier was a tough one because obviously the coach who signed me, um, it was going all right. I was training, I was waiting for my chances and then the team got in a bit of a rough patch around Christmas time and they ended up getting rid of the coaches. So then it was sort of like everything back to square one. Sort of. Yeah. 
had to start again with new coaches around Christmas time. Um, so I only got one game in my first year. It was a frustrating year, um, as was my second year. I only got one game again, um, which was obviously tough being 21, 22 that season. Sort of needed to kick on. But you were um, still playing week in, week out? I was, though, right? I was still playing week in, week out, yeah. Sorry, I was still playing week in, week out with the Espoirs. Yeah. But it was a pool below what I was playing with Claremont. So that, that's so frustrating, mate, because you're, you're obviously you're away from home, you're pursuing the rugby, but that's two years you haven't, you've hardly played any rugby that or at the level you want to be playing at. That I imagine yeah. that can be very frustrating. Did you have like a, had you had a good like group of boys around you that made that a lot easier? Or did, did you feel like a bit isolated because you're so far away from home at that time? Sorry to get deep on it, but it's, no, it's interesting because um, we've had guys on the on the podcast that in, in similar situations where they, they fall out with coaches, coaches change change um change over changeovers and then they're and then they're out of favour, in favour, out of favour. for me I think it's it's doubly as hard from my certainly from my own experience when you're when you're abroad and it happens that you're you find yourself just completely out of the mix and and you sort of I certainly did at the time begin to question like oh why am I doing this why am I away from home etc etc it's obviously for you it's, it was a waiting game and it's paid off massively because um, you're obviously a, a fixture in the first team now but um, would, do you remember that those feelings at all if you had to yeah yeah we were lucky because we had a good we had a good group um, I had um, Wesley Douglas now playing in Breathe um, he arrived same time as me in the Espoirs so yeah. to have two young English lads um, sort of together that was very helpful and then we had Lockie Monroe um, New Zealand 10 and Jamie Hagen uh, fan of the podcast um, also so we had like a good little good little group um, I was sort of the only one who wasn't playing they were all playing together yeah so, but yeah, they were they were really helpful, especially in my last season. Uh, sorry, the when I was twenty one, twenty two, last season when my first contract here. Yeah. Sort of thinking about, oh, do I want to stay here? Like, could be doing the same thing at home with the like job. Yeah. Uh, not missing the family, from a long term relationship as well. So, I had all these things sort of weighed up, and I had a chat with Jamie, and he sort of told me like, oh, you've, like, you can do this, like you. You've, you're good enough. You just you're gonna get your chance. Just stick at it. And then the club offered me a two-year deal. That was my. F- it was another Espoir, which was the like, latest age you could be an Espoir. Yeah. Pro deal at the end of that. And the following year, I started started playing. Then um, I went from one game, one game, and then in my third season, I had 23 games. Wow, the players sort of kicked on. Had an English ten that year. Didn't really left-handed passes weren't great. But <laughs> kicking percentage, kicking percentage was unbelievable. Um, You're not talking about so yeah, me by any chance. Oh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was a, that was great for that was a great first year playing. Like we had a good group. Yeah. Good, good group of lads. Um, like playing every week. The coach was like. He had a lot of confidence in me. Um, yeah, that was class. We just missed out on the playoffs, nice. which is frustrating, but yeah. Yeah, and, we uh, did. Mm. And 
And you obviously were in favour with the coaches at that time. And just reflecting back on my, my, that same year that you were talking about, my year in Bezier, I found, and you don't have to answer the questions if you think anyone's listening, like, that might, you know, catch on. But um, I found the, the fr- French rugby in general is quite political. Um, and political, I mean, with the, the relationships with coaches. I think all rugby is to a certain extent, but... but um, I felt it particularly in my year where I had um, issues like with coaches, sort of fa- favorite players, or or you know like godsons of presidents or whatever you like. And you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth. But I guess is that is that just part and parcel of of French rugby? It's like it's obviously this big spectacle, but as a player, I think you, before you go over there, at least if you're being pre-warned with a bit of hindsight, um, you might you might be interested to know that that rugby over there is like there is, there are these issues underlying in it a little bit in, in French rugby that certainly I experience. I don't know if you've experienced anything like it where you, you might look look on the team sheet, not see your name and and be disappointed, but it's not for the reasons that you should be necessarily like I remember a few times thinking, well, this isn't a decision based on performance or, or whatever else. Is, is that something that rings a bell? Or it doesn't, don't worry if it, you don't want to uh, go into it. No, yeah, a little bit. Um, but obviously, I think that happens a lot in every sport. Sort of, There's an element sometimes of it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. Um, so that can happen anywhere. Um, I do think the French, they like to stick to like what's trusted if they know someone longer it's a big game or whatever then they'll go they'll go with what's trusted who they know longer things like yeah. this um, yeah personally I think there was a time when there was one guy on loan here and he would always be training with the first team ahead of me sometimes and I'd be like oh that's a bit strange yeah um, but that might have been part of his loan deal but Apart from that, no, no real personal experience of it getting, getting in my way too much. Not getting right. the shun from the coaches too often. Not getting the shun. It's no. good. It's no, it's good, mate. So, so yeah. yeah, just my personal experience. It's my bitterness coming through a little bit about yeah, my year because you know we missed out on playoffs. Maybe if we would have got playoffs that year, I might have extended my stay. Who knows? But um, we'll we'll leave it there. Um, mate, like 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 we were saying, leaving the family and and living abroad was is kind of a hard move. Some, something doesn't seem you you had too much problem with or didn't overthink at the time. Um, would you have any like advice for for guys thinking about moving abroad now? Because uh, at this time, like obviously you have like national one, national two leagues cancelled or semi cancelled until the new year, and I, I know a lot of guys are are looking at going abroad and playing and stuff would, what would you sort of advise for being prepared look, looking back with a bit of you know knowledge of the uh, well I'd definitely think about it a bit longer maybe a week or so have a <laughs> chat to I mean if you know anyone playing abroad have a chat with them beforehand I mean I only had my agent to speak to who obviously had a different experience to me coming yeah. over as a as a England international, he was always going to have a different experience. So maybe just chat to someone who's already played abroad, no matter what country, think about it, and uh, yeah, weigh up 
weigh up all these pros and cons sort of missing family also sort of set out like a long-term goal because if it's if you're not planning on being here long term you don't have to think as much you can just go for it yeah if you're thinking long term then you have to think about family how much you're going to miss them uh, girlfriends sure. if you've got them or boyfriends whatever <laughs> nice and um yeah so speaking on that you did you you said you're in a long-term relationship you had to sort of keep that going while you while you've been in france is has your girlfriend moved out now yeah um molly was here last year um bezier wasn't wasn't a great first year for her to be living in france there's a lot of sort of family family issues back home obviously um then the whole covid thing and the language barrier her first time moving out as well so anyone who like at first time you move out it's always hard whether it's overseas if you're just going to uni yeah everyone experiences it um so it was all sort of rolled into one it was quite a tough year for her um so yeah she's back home now working um this is my last year of my contract so yeah sort of this was the plan but she'll work we'll see out my last year and i actually have to speak to her this time instead of just signing deals and then and know after so yeah. plan together this time yeah proper grown-up decisions now isn't it because yeah i mean i've yeah, turned into an adult whilst i've been in busy <laughs> yeah so. no yeah mate it's true because like like you said i, I imagine definitely the same situation for my other half that um when you move abroad as a rugby player you've got that environment ready made for you it's um you're playing with with a, a group of 30 or 40 guys so every training session you've got people to talk to people to laugh and joke around with and stuff and when you're talking about your your other half then for them i'm i can't even imagine how hard hard that is because essentially their their support network is just you isn't it so and yeah, and then of course like any any nice you know other other girlfriends or whoever from from the squad or wives but but I mean it's it's very limited and and that's that's hard and and then t- to top off other stuff like that might be happening back back home like you say like family issues and and um, pan global pandemics yeah, I mean it was all going on last season it was a tough one <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you, but you pulled through it. So now you've um, you've you're over that hurdle, and yeah, I guess um, whatever's next, I'm sure you'll you'll take the time to think and talk, like uh, like any grown rugby player does nowadays. Yeah. Um, especially as you've been abroad for so long, is is it something? Are you looking to move back to England? You've been playing first team rugby now, and in the in a high level in the Pro D two with Bezier now for. For a good three years, um, at least. Obviously, you had those a couple of appearances before that as well. Um, have you got uh, some ambition to move back home or to to potentially stay in France um, and push on, or are you happy in Bezier? Yeah, um, I think any sort of young rugby player or any rugby player in general, they always want to. We're greedy, like we always want more. We want to be playing at the higher level than if you're there you want to play a bit higher so like, of course it's within my ambitions to play sort of top tier whether that's in France England I think having been in France so long it'd be nice to crack 
the top four team. So that's sort of a goal of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, why not? One day, hopefully, get back home as well, play there. It's, um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be While you're young. While you're young, mate. Yeah, whilst I'm still young, whilst I'm hanging on to my youth. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's good, it's good to hear that you've obviously got these goals that you want to and you want to go go and achieve. I think it's definitely doable. I, I see your name more often than not in the Midi Olympique. That's the that's the big French rugby newspaper, the rugby paper in France, in their team of the week pretty often, to be honest. So you must be doing something right, mate. Not to blame. We check it every week. You used to <laughs> check, check and see how many stars you got every week, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was struggling with the stars to be honest in that um, that last year in Bezier, but but yeah, mate. No, I've been obviously follow the French league closely, and and um, no, it's good to see see you with your name up there in lights a little bit. Hopefully that that can lead to something and help you to achieve your goal that you want to play in the top fourteen. That'd be nice. I won't ask you if there's any any sniffs or anything put put you in the shit, but um, it's your last year of your contract, so. Every performance counts, right? I guess. Yeah, that's true, mate. And um, obviously, we were chatting just before we went on uh, about my injury. So obviously, I haven't played too much this year. Yeah, I've only had three games, so I'm sort of just focusing on playing and sort of winning these games up until Christmas. And yeah, just getting games under my belt. I mean, with COVID and then the injury, it was I was out for about like eight months. So just uh, just trying to get that match fitness back up sure mate yeah that's absolutely key um, you must have a few mates playing back home at, at quite a high level because you were in that like you said that age group that you had at Northampton uh, Saints Academy they, it was a very good year um, how, how is it to see some of those guys do you have anyone uh, close to you that's like playing at a high level that sort of you talk to regularly or that you that you sort of bounce off of about you know this that kind of level and professional rugby and is it hard seeing them go places back home and thinking like if you would have got that Northampton gig um after academy then then maybe things could have been different or you are you quite happy and comfortable with the route you've taken because it's obviously a different route and it's a, a less trodden route so to speak um, mm. but it's clearly seems to be getting you where you want to be at the same time yeah um, see so yeah, I've I've got a few friends playing professional rugby now it's at my school actually we had a good good age group as well um, yeah there was I had Lewis Ludlam I was good friends with him at school I'm good friends with him obviously playing now for Saints and England we had Dan Lewis Luke Juneau both playing at Coventry Got Tom Emery, Ethan Waddleton, both with the England Sevens, oh, wow. the England Sevens. George Wakakoki at um, Newcastle. So got lads, friends back home playing, playing high standard. Nice. And um, no, I've never really thought about sort of their route or my route to starting to play professional rugby. It's just everyone's sort of got their own road to follow and mine led me yeah. over the ponds to France and uh, yeah, just see where it takes me in the future. But. Nice. Is it nice then to see that the other guys that you knew from school or academy doing well then? 
do you, do you look over and say, oh, that's nice, that, that guy's name in the paper or whatever, or man of the match or scoring tries? However, is that... Yeah, nah. oh, of course it's nice. Nice yeah. to see mates doing well. Silly question, silly question. But yeah, I'll tell you, what, tell you what, they won't be getting um, invites to the Rugby Abroad podcast because it doesn't sound like any of them are playing abroad, mate. So Not yet, not yet. <laughs> can't, can't close any um, close off any potential guests, can you, mate? No, you're right. Ears and eyes are open at all times. I see. Tell you what, it's non-stop, mate. Um, when you, when we're t- just going back to the rugby, how, how does the... Obviously, you were 18 when you moved over, I know, but did, you must have got a feel for the difference in the, in the rugby's in, in England and France. What are the, what the focus is? What are the, what's the kind of game style? How does that differ for, for you as a, as a second-row flanker? What's, how does your role differ in, um, in both places? Yeah, I get asked this quite a bit, but obviously, having left at 18... Sorry, mate, I can't, sorry. Can't, I can't quite... I, I don't like to compare too much because I haven't experienced it, so I don't think it'd be fair. This year is sort of my third year playing pros and I've had to... I've been calling line-outs, so I've obviously taken a bit more responsibility uh, with that. How's that in another language? Yeah. Is that, do you get confused at times? Or have yeah. you been in, been in France long enough to, have, to like think in French as well? No, yeah, that's fine now. Yeah. I mean, I I was doing it sort of for my first or second year in Claremont, so it's just like second nature now. It's not, it's not too much to a bother. Yeah. Um, yeah, Molly actually said one night I was sleep talking, just shouting things in French. <laughs> it was like, oh, it must be you, must be you calling line outs. So I was like, yeah, just complete noise. Sleep and dream in line outs. That's the first I've heard, yeah. but that's clear. <laughs> That's head in the game. That's head in the game. Yeah, mate. Nice. Yeah. Mate, it sounds like you mentioned your agent, um, Jamie Noon, quite a few times. And on another on another episode, I was speaking to Cookie Marfu, who is a, a Tongan international who plays over in Jersey, and we were discussing how sort of the negative side of, of working with agents and how sometimes you just got to get out there yourself a little bit and make contacts and speak to clubs and speak to speak to guys that are in your network to help you get gigs but to be honest it sounds like from what you've been saying you struck gold with um with Jamie Noon and sounds like he was absolutely ideal for for helping you get sort out your moves to France and and then just encouraging you on like to stay on and and it sounds like you, you guys speak quite a lot um, so he sounds like a proper, a properly um, good agent. Yeah. Um, obviously, for me, coming over as a young player, I wasn't looking to move around clubs too often. I just, but we sort of we got where I wanted to go with Claremont. Had two good years yeah. there. Got to Bezier and not really been looking to move or needed to move. So it's been. It's been perfect for me. I've got my game time, even though I had to wait for it. But yeah, and um, yeah, he's yeah, he's good for me. Um, we talk regularly. Obviously, he's gone through a lot of the similar sort of problems I'll have gone through with different bits and bobs in France. Helped me with the language as well, and yeah, he was he was class for me. He's class for me, should say. Yeah, nice. Yeah, give him a quick shout out for the 
giving him heaps apparently yeah yeah asking questions no, no, about good that. stuff good stuff like I said like I said it's good to hear because not everyone has has these positive experiences especially with I, I know guys in England who who have agents in England but who aren't aren't kind of qualified to work in the French market directly so they so they dip in and use um, use French agents who then you know the the player involved never meets them and doesn't yeah. really get a, a good good feedback about what's going on with with the communications or whatever with the clubs and and it's I think it's quite a difficult thing to do that it makes it even more difficult to move abroad and like you mentioned before there's now less and less um, foreign players permitted in each match day squad each year in France I'm not sure how, how many how many how's that rule applied now you know how many it's an average so like you could field 15 foreign players one game and then sort yeah. of two and three the next sort of four and five and evens itself out I think it's at 16 this year 16 as an average uh, French qualified players so it's about seven players seven seven foreign player spots on yeah. average you'd say yeah um, which is a, which is a lot less than before I think they're reducing it by one every year do you know if there's plans to I think it's next further year, reduce next year it goes up again and then two more years after that I think not 100% on that but. and what's the vibe in France around that what, what are a French guys quite happy about that and I know I know as a foreign player who once played in France um, it's I'm not sure the, the benefit of um, being so strict on that kind of thing I guess you're in a nice position where because you're an espoir uh, you qualified as an espoir and you qualify as a French player it's kind of it's a nice thing for you, I guess, but um, when you're, is it is it really making a difference to to French rugby? Is it taking away quality? Is it bringing through more French quality? Do you reckon? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Like sometimes we'll get a joke from a couple of lads in the team about like the foreigners, yeah. blah blah blah. But it's, it's never. I don't really. No, it doesn't come up much within amongst the squad. Um, but obviously for French rugby, I think the idea was to have more and more French players coming through the academies, um, playing top flight rugby. But then obviously this year they created a third professional league. So yeah. there'll be, there's obviously more chances for professional rugby for young French players. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, it's like I say, for me, it is. Yeah, it's for me, the is. rule, it doesn't, like, I'm, because I've qualified, I've sort of done my time as an espoir, and I am now yeah. qualified. I don't think about it too much. Um, and obviously, coaches and presidents and who's signing the players, they have to take all of this into consideration. So, I think it's it's big, sort of on the recruitment side, because you can't be going signing 15, 20 foreign lads if at the end of the year you're going to hit with a big fine and not bringing through your own French French players. Yeah, sure. No, no. Just just looking at it from a personal point of view, I'm I definitely felt the the difference between my first year in France and my last year in France with regards to when I was looking for contracts um, after after Bezier and looking at new opportunities. There was definitely less about for someone of my age and nationality being a being a foreigner in my position. Um, and I guess also my experience, I, I would have needed to 
have let's say premiership experience or international experience to to be considered that year and that's it's quite tough to take um especially when you your it's being your opportunities being reduced from let's say you might be one of eight foreign players the first year and then one of seven the next year you're then if you're then looking for a new club it's a tough tough ask especially if it's if it's clubs that are going well they're happy with their foreign players and stuff it definitely limits the opportunities for foreign players to to play in these top leagues um top leagues in france but again maybe it's just me being uh being bitter no no I think definitely it's getting sort of harder and harder with the rule changing every year yeah I think it's harder to to get to France um I think once you you're in France if you sort of play well you build up some sort of some credit here um then it's easier to sort of stay with the club but um I think getting to France and sort of bouncing around is going to be a bit tougher the more the rule changes Definitely, mate. And and let's let's kind of round it up on a lighter note. Have you got any funny like international stories that you that you want to share with the with the listeners? Funny international stories. Yeah, I mean, I you're me. you're in France, you're abroad, you're you're playing rugby. I'm sure you've got a few stories up your sleeve. I know I've put yeah, you on the spot a little bit. Yeah, I think being with the same club for five years, maybe these stories might get me. In trouble like it's a bit obvious where they're <laughs> going to be coming from <laughs> all right you don't, nah. to, you don't have to give anything away mate no names nah. keep it anonymous no just like any funny like um language instances like mishaps interviews gone wrong not this one this has been great but uh, <laughs> uh interviews gone wrong i actually had to do press today it's always a struggle sort of um i remember my first interview after a game uh it's not no funny stories here but i remember just staring at the journalist like knackered <laughs> didn't understand his question in Listen. the end um another player sort of helped me out a bit but yeah it's one thing doing an interview in french when you're not tired but then after a game it's it's a struggle as you know but yeah I mean, get- languages languages are just easy for you though aren't they yeah. full language catsy yeah it's all right. It's not bad, but but mate, after a surely after a few beers in you in the apre match, you're you're flying, aren't you? In in the early days, uh, I mean. I actually struggled with my French first sort of year or two. Um, I was. I did you not study a bit at school? No, I did German for one year, which was useless. Um, but yeah, I was actually, I was living next to a Georgian prop who spoke unbelievable French, unbelievable English. My first year in Clermont is. Yeah. Um, Georgie Sharashidze and he yeah. he then left at the end of my first year and I was just like shit like what am I going to do now oh so you were speaking with him in English yeah and, and then anything I needed he'd, sort, he'd help me out um, yeah but then he <laughs> left there was a load of new foreigners coming in that year and I was sort of the one who was supposed to be able to uh, speak a bit of French and help, help them out so I, I kind of <laughs> learned on the job in my second year um, it's yeah getting gradually a bit more respectable nice. each year we go on so yeah nice Carl listen mate I appreciate you taking us through your story you're still playing rugby abroad and long may it continue as long as you you want to and your objectives are are that way inclined um, mate it's great to speak to you a breath of fresh air 
Um, and I hope you get a few more games on your belt this season because threes, come on, t- what, were you, what were you last year? 23, you said? No, I went 23, then COVID year was 16. We got cut oh, short and then... It got cancelled, yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't count. It doesn't count, does it? No. It's just 23 and then this season. Someone's three. Need to rack them up. Rack them up, mate. Rack them up. Try to get a few more um, stars for you to give you some smiles on Monday mornings. Please do. I'll, I'll even get the get the social media manager to, to chuck it up on Instagram, your stars. <laughs> nice, mate. appreciate your time and I wish you all the best. Cheers. And take it easy, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, boss. You can subscribe to the podcast at rugbyabroad.com. Thanks for listening in and I hope you join me for the journey.